This is Mission.org. Hello and welcome to another episode of Marketing Trends. This is Ben Wilson, a producer here at Mission. Today's episode of Marketing Trends features part two of our interview with Ty Shea, global CMO of Norton LifeLock. Ty is a Silicon Valley veteran who has served as CMO of multiple great tech companies, including Hotwire and SquareTrade, and was the founder and CEO of FanIQ, a social sports gaming site. He is also on the board of directors of the Ad Council. On this episode, Ty explains his original theory of performance storytelling and gives tips on career management for marketers. Again, this is part two of a two-part interview, so if you want to go back and listen to part one, it's just the previous episode in this feed. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. All right, so let's get into performance storytelling. Now, this is something that you have been thinking about and talking about a little bit, but I would love to learn more about kind of your your thesis or your framework of what you think is performance storytelling. And obviously, storytelling is something near and dear to our hearts at the mission. So I've been uh, really excited to talk about this. Great. Yeah. So, you know, as a marketer, you're often asked, what kind of marketer are you? I've always had trouble answering that question because I, I think the answer is either you're a brand marketer or you're a performance marketer. And so I've always struggled with, uh, well, I actually believe in both. I worked at Procter & Gamble and Clorox, and I believe in the value of brands, but I also believe that you should be accountable and measure. So I came up with this idea of performance storytelling. What it really means is that from working at, at some great brands, I really do believe many times your brand or your story is your best performance marketing tool. And so it's really where I think a lot of performance marketers you know, get into testing different types of media or this. It's really the success that I've had in a lot of the companies I've been in is is really being very deliberate about who you are, what's your target, and then being maniacal about telling that story to that target in the most compelling way. You know, we put a lot of measurement behind it, and I think you can get measurably better results by telling measurably better stories. The thing that I think is so challenging with this is that our society went from if you told a story in 30 seconds on a TV, you could tell that story to millions and millions of people over and over and over again. You could serialize it, you could make it episodic, and you see all the great examples of this, like, you know, the Budweiser frogs or the Geico caveman or whatever. Like, whether or not you like love those ads, um, it's more about the fact that you could build a story around some specific thing about your business. You could make it funny or tongue-in-cheek or serious or whatever it is, and there was a way to reach all those people. And now, I mean, we still have that, obviously, but everything is changing extremely rapidly. And you could also do that via radio, and you could do it via other means. And I think that now we're at a situation where it's just so much harder to reach large groups, especially of young people, because it's such, it's so disparate. Like these, you just can't reach the same amount of people. So to make a cohesive story that you know people are going to watch, like if you're advertising every week on 60 Minutes and hitting that spot every week, 
you're literally going to tell a story for potentially a year or years or you know jeopardy or whatever it is like you could actually be um you could do things that way and again what metrics are there for that right like people you know that stuff worked, right? So clearly there was measurement. Clearly people figured out how to do that. You know, I've, t- I've told the story before that a friend of mine sold ads for the yellow pages, right? And they had the exact data on the difference between an f- eighth of a page ad and a fourth of a page ad. Like there is a reason why, you know, whether or not that was true, I guess is another thing. But do you think that the actual telling of those stories now is harder, easier, or is it something that we need to, as marketers, be creative and figure out ways to do it? I mean, I think it's it's all of that. The the world's constantly changing. The the thing that I've always embraced is the data. Yeah. And once again, I think the thing that marketers have now is the first party data. And you can literally put something out in the world, you know, on Google or Facebook and actually know within hours what's working and what's not working. So in some ways I, I would I would agree with you that the, the world's more fragmented than ever. It's not basically sledgehammer marketing. There's not one universal message for everyone. There's, you know, multiple channels, right message, right time. But what I couldn't live without now is the constant feedback loops that you're able to get when you put things into market. I was at CES uh, last week and somebody asked me, you know, what I would do if I was back at Procter & Gamble. And I thought about it and I have a t- tremendous amount of respect for that um, organization. But I said, I don't, I don't think I could do that CMO job because I don't know how to operate in the world without first party data. Totally. So I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm the right person for that job anymore. Yeah, it's a really unique challenge. And like when you rely on things like focus groups and all sorts of different stuff like that, like you know, who is the, there's a great quote that something along the lines of, if you like relying on focus groups gives you a very clear depiction of what people would do to get a free sandwich. Um, <laughs> it's like, that's what you learn, right? But yeah, I mean, ultimately like learning from your customers and what they will or won't spend money on is is the is the only way to measure, uh, or is one way to measure, it's not the only way, but how they feel about your brand and how they feel about your messaging is super important. I mean, one of the things that we believe is this idea of a blend of actual storytelling is going to be what wins in the long run that like the things that last are stories like you you know you can go back to whether it's biblical stories or whether whether it's you know the type of stories like star wars or things like that these are things that people lord of the rings whatever it is people feel passionate about they feel strongly about they you know, go to create conventions and go and dress up and do all these sort of things like those empowering stories, whether it be, you know, fiction or nonfiction or whatever it is, those types of things will always resonate as human beings. How do you bring that level of creativity into ad campaigns? Yeah. So we, uh, as you said, we're big believers in storytelling and we do think that's how people communicate. And so to your point, we spend a lot of time I think you hear a lot of marketers talk about the art and science of, of marketing, but very few will tell you exactly what that means in terms of tactically, how do you do it? Yeah. So we're still trying to piece it together what that means. But for me, what it means is we have an internal agency and we partner with external agencies. I guess we the first thing we do agree is we, we all want to do great work. We all want to do work that the creatives are very proud of. Yeah but it's how we measure that work. So what we've agreed on with our internal agency and external is 
we're going to measure success by how many people buy. Yeah. And so I tell you, when you can get your creative team behind that and your agency, that's the real trick to unlocking, to your point, the art and science. When you have people creatively problem solving who want to do great work that they're proud of to show their girlfriend or boyfriend yeah. or mom. But we all agree that the measure is how many people buy after they watch it. That's where the magic happens. No, totally. I mean, and that's, I mean, you have to, right? Like that's, that's the point of all this stuff. And I think that having something that's remarkable that someone tells their, you know, their mom or their boyfriend or whoever it is, I think is, is a huge part of that, right? It's like, you know, the uh, ABM, the account-based marketing for the home, right? Your whole family, you know, if it's a decision that one person makes on their own, like buying AirPods, right? One person can, it like, I don't, you know, have to check with my family about going to buy AirPods. But some people might have to go check with their spouse or whoever it is to buy AirPods because they're like, well, if you get AirPods and I want AirPods, you know, or whatever it is. And I think that those type of buying decisions, like, it might be an accountant base. You might need to get the entire family online and you might need to have, you know, whatever the grandparents online because you're still using their internet or whatever it is. Or maybe, you know, they live in their in your home with you. So if you're going to change to go get a new type of internet or, or whatever it is, I think those types of conversations are, are, and great marketers are having those. So how do you tell, you know, a four quadrant film, right? You know, the that gets all the age groups into one cohesive narrative that, potentially a family could talk about over dinner? How do you get thought-provoking content that reaches all those people, you know, that they want to talk about, that they're excited to talk about? And, you know, I just I just go back to the fact that, like, if, if your only strategy is is display ads, like, <laughs> that's that ain't going to cut it. It's not. It's not. And then, like I said, some of these new categories. So, you know, I've marketed insurance, travel, you know, and now identity theft, virtual private networks, VPNs. So particularly some things that are very complicated, you know, simple stories to your point is to be, to be great. You by definition have to be simple. Yeah. And I, I think that's where marketing gets really tough is to make something that's simple and memorable. Yeah. I mean, we have on the wall over there, we have confusion equals no sale written on the thing, right? Like confusion, if it, if you're confusing and there's a lot of products that are ridiculously confusion. So, so you need to figure out how to untangle the mess. One of the most recent things I'd love to talk about your current role. How did the transition from being CMO of LifeLock and getting acquired Talk me through how that went, how that happened, and what you're working on now and what you're excited about. Yeah. So uh, LifeLock was a, a public company, and we sell identity theft protection. We have about 5 million members. So we actually had an activist investor that came in and, and bought up 10% of our stock and actually made an offer for the rest of the company. So the board when they receive an offer like that, they actually have to take it very seriously. And so we hired Goldman Sachs to basically run a process. So in the process, we had 15 different entities that were interested in buying LifeLock. And in the end, it came down to a few private equity firms and then Symantec. And uh, what always happens, I think, what I've heard is a strategic buyer, Symantec, can always pay more than a private equity because there are synergies and tax implications and things like that. So we joined Symantec and Symantec owns, I think one of the 
other great cybersecurity brands, which is Norton. Yeah. So for me, who's always wanted to help people, the combination of protecting people from identity theft, malware, ransomware, viruses, it was a great platform because Norton is in 38 countries, $5 billion company. So to integrate those two was interesting. So I was asked by Symantec to lead the marketing function, which is a little unusual that the acquired company kind of is asked to lead, you know, somebody from leaders is asked to lead marketing. So now I lead Norton and LifeLock. And I, I think the reason why I was asked to do that was because LifeLock spent a lot of money on marketing and was growing very quickly. Yeah. So, so now I'm in the role of figuring out we have a family of brands, we have multiple products, and we're in, as I said, over 30 countries globally. So redesigning the marketing org and figuring out how we're going to ultimately bring this new category called cyber safety, which is simple choice for the consumer, buy one subscription and we protect you from everything. So that's what we're doing. We just launched um, New Norton 360 with LifeLock last month, and then you'll be seeing more about it this year. This is just so exciting. The idea of cyber safety, you know, it's something we're, we're really excited about at the mission. And this idea, it's just such a massively important thing for all of us right now, for every single human being on earth. And it's so critical that we get it right and that people are, you know, guarding the realms of men and women, right? Like that's, it's so, it's so critical. And, you know, on, on one of our other shows, IT Visionaries, we've talked to some Ken Gonzalez from Night Dragon, who's an investor in in cybersecurity and all that sort of stuff. There's just, and the big takeaway is just there are people that are trying to do harm to you every day, that are looking for ways to exploit you in some way, and the good guys need to be, and good guys and gals needs to need to be a step ahead. So, I mean, it's, and I think that's part of the reason. I mean, I the, I would I knew of LifeLock, you know, I've seen uh, the growth of that, and I think that. It's a really exciting time for cybersecurity because of how critically important it is for the everyday user and obviously for like the enterprise. Yeah, I definitely am very proud of what we do as a company. To your point, many, many bad guys. This is the the Wild West. And, and now that I work at a company, I actually know more about how many bad actors are out there. And when you think about it, there aren't many companies or government entities looking out for you but Norton and LifeLock are, I think, two the two leading brands. And I think we are, our mission is to, is to keep people safe, which I feel great about. Let's get into just some marketing career management talk. You know, you've been involved in about $5 billion of, uh, of exits. You know, you've, you've had a hot hand for picking the right companies or helping grow the right companies, which is probably more accurate. What are your pieces of advice or things that you've seen in your career that up and coming marketers or the people who aspire to be CMOs someday, how do they, you know, determine whether a role is a good fit? Yeah. I think uh, for people who are just starting their career, I think that the two things I would look at are one is it's less about the role. And I was there before. I was always thinking about what's my title? What's my salary? What's yeah. my role? I think you think about your, I always use the analogy, you're standing at a port and they're like 10 ships about to depart. And you can either be like, you know, really important, one of three people on a small ship, 
or you can choose to get on a, a freighter that's going, or you can basically choose to, to be on a ship that's kind of standing still. I think you want to choose a company that's growing because I think it's really when you when things are growing that creates good momentum and good experiences to be part of growth. So I think you want to be on a ship that's moving. I think you want to be on a ship with, I would say, talented people. And the most important person that you're going to choose is your boss. So is your boss somebody that you feel like you can learn from, somebody that you trust? So I, I honestly think if you focus on growth, something that's growing, and you focus on people, particularly your boss, you're probably going to make a good choice. And a lot of the other things that, that people think about, I think, are, are less important, like what, what your title is or what you're going to do. Or like your equity in the company. Oh, your equity, My I goodness. mean, at, at that stage. So so that's what I the advice I give for, for young people is choose a good boss. And, you know, the, those people, I think one thing that people don't think about is your alumni network. So each company I've been at, I have an alumni network. We were talking a little earlier about the Hotwire alum network. Yep. Spencer Raskoff, CEO of Zillow, uh, Carl Peterson at TP. I mean, so many people have done great things from that company. So you really have an opportunity to create another alumni base with each company that you join. Yeah, that's, it's a critical insight. And I think that a lot of folks don't realize that in the future, in the five, 10 year outlook, there's like, oh, what's your five year plan? What's your 10 year plan? All this sort of stuff, which nobody ever knows because nobody knows the future. But what the truth of your 10 year plan is, if you aren't known for doing great work at your current role, then 10 years from now, you're never going to get the callbacks from the person that you worked with and be like, oh, that person was a rock star. Especially in the Valley, everyone knows everyone. Yeah. You're one phone call away. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, every interview you go to, there's at least one or two backdoor references of people who know somebody who works for you. So it's a really good point. I think you've got to be long-term focused. And I think your, you know, your reputation and you do good work and and that will, uh, will translate. You didn't ask this, but for leaders and CMOs, the one advice I... Oh, no, yeah. That was my next question. Oh, I'm sorry, but uh, I really feel really passionate about this because I I really love to advise my friends and and stuff about jobs is I'm a strong believer. I mean, look, I struggled with product market fit for my startup for a while. Zero to one is really, really hard. And sometimes I feel like it's not about how hard you work or how smart you are. (laughs) There's a lot of luck and stuff. So I always tell people, my number one advice for CMOs is don't be the first CMO that a company hires. I mean, I, I really do think that- uh, That's there, funny. There are all kinds of dynamics. You know, I think the first, while they're trying to figure out if they have product market fit, nobody really knows what good is. So it usually takes one or two CMOs to get fired before they realize, yep. yeah, this is probably, you know, our cost per customer is probably a hundred. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, we've had two people come in and try, so this is okay. So my best piece of advice I think is, you know, you can get lucky, but in general, I don't think you want to be the first CMO of a company. What's your favorite campaign that you've ever done? Wow, that's a good question. So when we launched Hotwire, you know, we were the upstart. It's probably, you probably don't even remember this, but Priceline had this guy, William Shatner. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, the Priceline negotiator. Yeah. And uh, they had 99%. They're spending like a billion dollars literally on advertising. 
So we came up with, uh, it's not original at all, is the idea of the, the hot wire travel challenge. And what we would do is we would literally go, the number one thing that everyone wants in online travel is, is a better deal. Yep. So we would literally go out on the street and film it. And we would basically ask people where they wanted to go. I remember we, this. And we would show them orbits or Travelocity. And we'd say, let's check Hotwire. And literally, you'd get crazy reactions when they literally saw that they could save money on travel. And then, of course, we'd take them to Priceline and we'd say, OK, what do you want to bid on that? And they would literally be frozen. That's Cause, so cause funny. As we've learned from eBay and Priceline, the idea of bidding is attractive, but most people don't buy that way. It's not natural, right, to bid. So, so I'd say not the most creative campaign, but really, really effective for growing our business. I love that. That's so good. And it's such a good insight on human behavior is like there's always people who price shop. There's always people who want to negotiate. There's always people who want to do that. And the rest of us just want Walmart pricing, right? Yeah. Always rollback prices, right? right. Like always... Uh, Always, you know, transparency, transparency to, yeah. bar to borrow the uh, good folks at uh, Southwest. Lightning round questions. We're just sure. going to go through a quick few. Favorite app on your phone? Twitter. And by the way, at Tai Shea. Yes. On the Twitters. Good follow. I highly recommend. Favorite time-saving tool? I don't know if it's tool, but I actually look at my schedule in the morning and I cross things off of it that I don't think are important that day. So I make that decision every morning. Oh, that's great. We made the cut. Marketing trends, thanks to our amazing yes. listeners out there. Uh, okay, your app, Fan IQ. So you must be a sports fan. What's your favorite sports team? Houston Rockets. A Rockets fan. Oh, man. And they're going to get mashed by the Warriors. That yes. Stinks. I try, actually, now I'm, I'm outed. So I've been the silent Rocket fan in, in, in the, the Bay Area yeah. swarm. Favorite podcast or recent book you've read or listened to? There's this book that I just read over break. It's called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running, which is by Murakami, who's a Japanese author. I don't run and I don't write, but it's an amazing, he's, uh, he's Japan's greatest living author. And it's an amazing book about what motivates, I think he's a genius, his thought process of, of how he does write and why he runs. It's really amazing. So podcast, you'll have, I'll, I'll throw out a plug. So I'm a big fan of podcasts, and there's this one, it's called Locked on Rockets. Hmm. And basically, after every Rockets game, they basically do a podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's the equivalent of, uh, like since, I don't, since I don't live in Houston, you know, talk radio, but since I don't live in Houston, I can't. So basically, the guy jumps on and records a, a podcast after every game, and I'm like addicted. That's uh, great. So it's a great one. I listen to some some Warriors podcasts, so I, I I know the deal. Some you just want to listen to other people, you know. I, yeah. It's part of being a fan, right? Really, it's, it. it's a it's a lonely existence for me in the Bay Area as yeah. a Houston Rockets fan. Favorite show? I don't really watch. I watch sports on TV. Sorry. <laughs> All good. I really did like uh, Billions. Yeah, Billions. I like that. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite ad that you've seen recently? You know, the one that as a performance storyteller that I I just loved because I would never think of doing this. This is the power of creativity is the Kaepernick ad that uh, Nike ran. So good. I mean, I just get chills thinking about it. I just it. got chills too. Who, who had that idea to do that? It's just like crazy risky. So so just a big fan of that work. And they kept it under wraps. So yeah. good. Okay. Final question. Thing you're most excited about for the future of marketing? 
I'm really excited about this idea of performance storytelling, which is really quantitatively getting good at telling stories. Um, we've done some work where I can actually tell you we have this ad score from zero to 100. And I can actually tell you, according to diagnostics, how well the ad will perform before it airs. That's great. And I know Google's working on similar stuff with uh, AI. I don't even think they have a human involved that can predict how well it does. So, you know, using tools, I said I'm a big sports fan, so sabermetrics in sports yep. is using analytics to, to, to make better decisions in sports. Really excited by analytics, but specifically analytics to tell better stories. Love it. Ty, thanks for hanging out. This is great. Yes, great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.